what will really make you happy? You know, is it just money in the bank? Is it relationships with your family? All these things, because you have to invest in all of them. Like if you just invest in your business at the expense of all your other relationships, you're probably not going to be happy <laughs> because those things will wither and die. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an awesome guest to share with you today. His name is Steve Hoffman, otherwise known as Captain Hoffman. We're going to get into that. He is the captain and CEO of Founderspace, one of the world's leading startup accelerators. Founderspace was ranked the number one incubator for overseas startups by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. He's also a venture investor, serial entrepreneur, author of several award-winning books, including the latest release, surviving a startup. And we're going to talk about that too. He was the founder and chairman of the Producers Guild Silicon Valley chapter. He's been on the board of governors of the New Media Council. He has done everything. He's worked in the Hollywood space. He has worked in the video game space. He's worked with some of the largest corporations in the world, including Qualcomm, Bosch, Intel, Disney, Warner Brothers, NBC, Gulf Oil, Siemens, and many others. Captain Hoff, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is great to have you here. Fantastic to be here, Dr. Richard. Now, we were talking a bit off air about that title because I know you weren't in the military. So share with us a little bit how you became Captain Hoff. Well, Captain Hoff today, I'm the captain of the team and it's Team Founder Space. But the name, my nickname, actually came from gaming. I'm a gamer and it was my gamer handle. It's so funny. We, we haven't had many gamers on the show and certainly none who are as renowned as you. So this is really, really cool. So what I wanna do is just jump into the time machine a little bit. We're gonna go back and I love to do this. I love to found, find out how people got started on the path that they're on. So what is your superhero origin story, Captain? How did this come to come to be? Well, we can go back to games. So I was an avid gamer ever since I could crawl and, and play with blocks, but all the way my entire life. So as a kid, actually through high school, I probably made over a hundred games. And these were role-playing games, board games, even coding computer games. So I was hardcore into games. I was also really into making movies. So I made over 50 different films, short films, with all my friends and animations, all sorts of things. And I was good in the arts, but I was also good technically. And that is because I have two genes, <laughs> pools of genes that were injected into me at birth. So my mother is an artist 
And my dad is, was literally a rocket scientist at MIT at that time. So I got these, this combination of, of genes. And originally, I took my dad's advice, who said, son, study computers. They will change everything. And he was right. You know, he was right. And I went into electrical computer engineering. But as soon as I graduated with my degree, my bachelor's degree, I thought, you know, half of me is missing, that other half, that creative half. And so I applied to the two top film schools in the country, NYU and USC, and I got accepted to USC, and I went there for graduate school and studied film and television. And then, you know, I can't go into my whole background because, like, I, people like to say, I've had more careers than cats have had lives. So I've just <laughs> done too many things, like from manga rewriting to, you know, animation, all these different things. But I went to work in Hollywood. I worked my way up to television development executive. Then I met the founder of the game company at the time, Sega. And he wanted somebody from Hollywood to jump to Japan to come up with new ideas for games. So I did that, um, had an amazing time in Japan. Then I got the itch to be an entrepreneur, moved back to my home, which is the San Francisco Bay Area, and started my first game company, which is coming back to games. Uh, it was called Lava Mind, and I wanted to make games that were good for people, nonviolent games that families could play together. And the first game I made was called Gazillionaire, and it was a game, ironically, teaching people how to be entrepreneurs, how to become gazillionaires. So it was a trading game in outer space, a business simulation. And, you know, I made that game with my own money, bootstrapped the company, you know, put everything I had into it. And that game just took off. It got picked up at the time by the largest PC game publisher in the world, which was Microprose Spectrum Holobyte. And they uh, put it out everywhere. And so Gazillionaire did well. We made a series of these business simulation games. And then the internet came along. So I'm dating myself. The internet came along and I couldn't resist that. So I got together with friends and we launched an internet company. I did three different internet companies, venture-backed companies. Then uh, after my third company, I decided that you know, to take a break. It was just so much, uh, you know, I'd been working like nonstop. So I took a break and my friends started to come to me and said, Captain Off, which was my gamer handle. Can you, can you help me? Can, can you help me write a business plan? Can you help me, you know, figure out how to talk to investors? All the different things entrepreneurs need at the early stages. So I started to help my friends and they all had similar questions. So I posted those to my blog and I called my blog Founders Space. And sure enough, people started to come to that blog because all of these uh, questions and answers were there from entrepreneurs. And before I knew it, I was setting up roundtables with entrepreneurs, introducing them to investors and lawyers and marketing people. And then that evolved into a startup incubator and accelerator in San Francisco. We got a space. And then people from all over the world at that time were coming to Silicon Valley to figure out the magic formula. And we became really well known because we ended up focusing on all these entrepreneurs coming from overseas, helping them land in Silicon Valley and launch their companies. And that um, today, if you look at Silicon Valley, over half the successful startup have a founder from overseas. So it's a, you know, Silicon Valley is a global community. And then we start branching out. And today we have 
over uh, 50 partners in 22 countries around the world. And we, our mission has been to help entrepreneurs grow and launch their companies. I love this. I, I got to ask a couple questions. Uh, when you made Gazillionaire and you were putting in the entrepreneurial things that one might do in the game to grow a business, was that stuff you were just kind of pulling off the cuff or did it just intuitively come to you? I, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, you're, you're known worldwide as this guru in the startup space, but when you were making these things, like did, you know, did these things just kind of come intuitively to you? How, that information, where did that, where did that come from originally? So Gazillionaire, the core idea of Gazillionaire is I wanted to get across a couple of things. So one, you're this crazy, you, you are this crazy alien in outer space. And you have to trade weird things like lava lamps and jelly beans and squid mockers and all these different products between planets. Now, each planet has a different economy. So we made different economies with supply and demand. And you have different pricing models and you have limited space on your ship. Unless you borrow money, you have to take out debt to actually expand your ship. So there is this, this dynamic there so it's not about like doing a tech startup. That's not what Gazillionaire is about. It's about figuring out the basics of if I borrow money at a certain interest rate, if, if I buy a bunch of products at a certain price, what's the profit margin and where can I you know, go to sell these? And should I store, is it worth it to store some of these in a warehouse to pick up later? Or would that, would that, that inventory sitting there actually hurt me because it's money tied up that I could be using elsewhere. And then you have employees that you have to hire and all these costs to manage, advertising, marketing. So it's this whole business simulation game that, you know, the first, I made that game so that people could have fun and learn at the same time. So it was a consumer game played by adults, played by everybody, right? And then it took on a second life in schools. It started getting picked up by middle schools, high schools, even universities started using it. And lo and behold, even the California prison system started using it to help reform prisoners. So um, it had this whole second life after the first publishing life. And then now it's been decades later, but it's still on Steam. Like we put it on Steam and it's like the original game and people are still playing it. So it's really fun. That's really cool. And I don't want to spend too much time uh, on video games, but I, I did actually recently see on Netflix this documentary of how Sega, you know, which was relatively unknown here in the United States, used some really interesting strategies to capture a large percentage of market share. So were you one of those early guys in there helping like develop Sonic and all of those things when the Sega Genesis was really breaking through? I came in after, just after they hit their peak. So I wasn't one of the early guys. So I jumped on like just when Sega surpassed Nintendo. And then my job was really, I was the only foreigner in our division. So my job was to come up with new ideas for new games that we could make. Any, any that, uh, you know, are, are, names of games that might come to mind that people might recognize? Well, one of the projects I worked, well, so, some of the projects I consulted on, I didn't conceptualize them, but like Virtua Fighter and Virtua Racer, those were huge hits there. Um, and then I also uh, worked with a team on a game. It was an amusement ride game because Sega did a lot of them at the time featuring Michael Jackson. So he came to our office and we did this whole thing. It was really fun. That's wild. I, I remember all of those things. So I'm, I think I'm dating myself a little bit. Too. <laughs> you are. <laughs> so, you know, but but in doing this and, and making these three companies and you became this resource and then you put it out on, on the blog that you had made it that you made. I want to talk a little bit 
about surviving a startup because I know that was recently released. And I'm curious, what, what was your impetus for writing that book? So I wrote Surviving a Startup basically to take all the knowledge I had over decades of doing it myself, like being in the trenches with startups, both bootstrap startups and venture funded startups, as well as today I work with hundreds of entrepreneurs, you know, every year all around the world. And I see the roadblocks they run into. I see the problems they're having. And I also see what they do right. So I wanted to just take and distill all that knowledge and put it into one book, like one book that has everything that I have learned um, so that it could benefit other entrepreneurs. And I will tell you, when you're an entrepreneur out there, it really pays to educate yourself. Because I will tell you, I make the biggest mistakes I made when I started was thinking I knew more than I did. Like I, you know, you go in there, you jump in there, you're enthusiastic, but there's no reason to repeat mistakes other people have made. You can, there are plenty of new ones to make on your own. And I just wanted to help people do that one thing. And was this book, it was the plan always to release it now? Did COVID impact the, the schedule at all? It didn't. No, the plan was to release it. Uh, now we were, I was going to do it no matter what. It was really just the point. COVID actually accelerated it, if anything, because I had more time to write. <laughs> so <laughs> I had more time to get it done. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. Well, certainly because of COVID, a lot of people have created their own businesses as a way to supplement their income or to replace lost income. So let's, let's take a high-level a high overview of this book. So if somebody is listening to this and they're thinking, you know, I've had this itch for a while, there's something I've been toying with, and now is the time, what are some of the prime do's and don'ts? We know the first don't, don't think you know everything, uh, but what are some of the other guideposts for starting a business? I will tell you. So the first thing you need to do is you need to be doing a company for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. So a lot of entrepreneurs out there say, I want to do a startup because I want to work less. And I will tell you, it's not always the case because you might have a boss at work that's a slave driver that's pushing you that you feel pressure on. But a lot of people are their worst, are the worst boss they can have. Because if you're your own boss, you can never escape. You can, have, you know, your boss is always saying, you could do more. You could do, it's the weekend. It's the evening. You could do more. You could work harder. There's another thing that needs to be done. That is one thing. Another wrong reason uh, people do startups is to get rich, right? They just want to make money. They want to cash out. They want quick money. So I will tell you very, you know, most startups do not survive. That's why I called it surviving a startup. The majority don't. So the odds are stacked against you. You have to be really smart 
uh, to navigate your way to success. So if, and if you're just in it for the money, you're probably not going to make the type of breakthrough you need to make. Now, the entrepreneurs I see that really succeed, they do one of two things, right? Either they identify a need for themselves, something that, that they see in the world that they really want. Like for me, when I was younger, it was this game, this business simulation game, you know, gazillionaire. I wanted to play that game. Like that game wasn't out there. I wanted it, right? So I made it for me. And then fortunately, there were a lot of other people out there like me. So if you, you know, a lot of great entrepreneurs make something for themselves and then boom, it applies to everybody else. And I can give you an example like Slack. You look at Slack, that, the company, the communications company, they basically made that chatbot for internal use. Like the engineers there made it for themselves. And the company, ironically, speaking of games, was actually a game company. <laughs> like the founder, they had started a game and the game failed. And they were like, what do we do? We took in this venture money, our game failed. And they looked, oh, we have this communications engine our engineers have built, have hacked together. It's really useful for us. I think a lot of companies could use this. Boom, they were huge success. Um, the other way is that you go into the real world. And this is really important. If, if you're not making something for yourself, if you aren't the customer, you need to get to the customer as early as possible. Because I will tell you, a lot of entrepreneurs have an idea in their head, you know, of this great idea, but great ideas don't make great businesses always. It doesn't always translate because what's really cool in your head doesn't necessarily mean that there's a, you know, there are people out there who actually need it. So taking what's in your head initially and going out into the world and actually engaging with the people who you identify as the people most likely to need what you're going to build before you build it is so critical. And then don't just try to sell them your idea. This is a huge mistake entrepreneurs make. They get so in love with their idea that they, they are out there and they, they, try, they try to sell everybody on their idea. Now, the problem with this is when, when you're selling, you're not listening. And what you need to do when you first start your company is listen to the market because the market will tell you what to build. I have a, a one rule of doing a startup. And this is the most important rule I will ever tell you. And that is you cannot create demand. Your company, no matter what you do, will never create demand. You can create products, but if there's no demand in that market, no matter how good that product is, no matter how many features you add, no matter, you know, no matter what, how much money you spend on marketing, that thing will die. What great entrepreneurs do is not create products at the beginning. They go out and hunt for demand. They go into the real world. They engage with real people. And they find that there are people out there who really want something. Could be an entertainment product, like a game. Could be a, a utility, a tool to make their life easier or make their business more profitable. And they see none of the other competitors are meeting this demand. This demand is pent up. And when they go in and tap that before anybody else, boom, it's an explosion. And that's what drives these small companies into huge businesses overnight. It's interesting because it's, it's a chicken and the egg thing, and it, but it actually sounds very intuitive. I mean, there's, there's so many people that have great ideas and, and you're right. Like, you know, what do we really need them for at the end of the day? So I liked, I liked that. And so let's, let's take another, peel back another layer and get further into the book. So what are the, what are the other things that you're going to get out of reading? Reading Surviving a Startup. 
What I want to do is I want to show entrepreneurs everything, every roadblock that they're going to face and how to overcome these. So one of the biggest roadblocks entrepreneurs face after the first thing they face is literally, can I even identify a big enough demand to grow a company that's worth my time? Like, and, and in my business where I'm a venture capitalist, I fund startups in that business, uh, you know, we need super hyper growth companies. We can't have a linear growth company. So if you want a company that's going to get venture funding, you literally need a huge pool of demand. And this is why um, hunting these is really, really hard. And you should be putting all your time into this at the beginning. And there's one other thing entrepreneurs should do at the beginning, not do it alone. Don't do this alone. Like so many solopreneurs go out there and they just try to do it. They hire some contractors and stuff and they never quite get there. So I tell people, you know, if you're going to build a big company, like a company that, you know, grows, goes public, gets acquired, if, you, if that is your goal, if you want to build a home business, fine, you can go it alone, right? But if you want to build a big company, the most important thing you can do is get the right people on at the very beginning. Because these people, not you, like, will determine the success of your company. And as a venture investor, like I, you know, how I judge a CEO at an early stage startup before they've exploded is literally looking who's on their team. Like, could they get an amazing person from Microsoft or Google or Facebook to quit their six-figure job and join this person? If that CEO can do that, the CEO has demonstrated to me that they have leadership ability which is the most important criteria for being a CEO. You, know, every, you, you don't need to be the best programmer in the world. You don't need to be the best salesman or marketer, but you need to be able to get people to do what you need them to do, which is lead them in a direction. So at the beginning, you should be doing two things, not building a product, not raising capital. You should be getting your team, getting A players like onto your team. And, and then you should be hunting for that demand together, not alone all of your brains together, working on figuring out the puzzle. Because when you figure out the puzzle, that will be it. And then as soon as you do, that team comes into play again, because I've seen teams that were, that had really fit, identified a great market, they had a brilliant idea, but the team wasn't good. And invariably, they will start to run with it and drop the ball, like they will fumble the ball and somebody else will pick it up and score. You need to be the team that either gets the ball first and goes straight to a, you know, a touchdown or picks up some, a ball somebody else dropped and, and brings it all the way. That's what you should do. So it, that leads me to an interesting question because you very clearly said, don't focus on raising capital yet. And so if, if one's not focusing on raising capital, but, and they're bootstrapping this business and funds are really limited, What's the best way to, to deal with that? How do you make your money go further in this space? I, this is what I tell entrepreneurs. If you're not already rich or you don't have wealthy parents or wealthy friends who can like just hand you a big check, which is most of us when we start, was definitely me. If you're not that person, what you need to do is pick an idea you can do with your sweat equity, your sweat equity and the sweat equity of other people you bring onto the team, right? And I always say, when you're out getting team members, you know, get the best people. Don't compromise. Don't get, you know, you know, your cousin or your friend from, you know, high school who might be really nice people, but aren't the people you actually need to build a great business. Get the best people you can and then make sure they're 
they, they're not curious about what you do. They don't want to dabble in it. They don't want to work in it part-time while they're at Google and kind of help you out. They're committed. Yet people are committed for the long run. You all go into this together and you figure it out. That is really important. The other thing for kind of making your money go, so first of all, scale your idea to your, your funds, right? If you want to build a ship to uh, a rocket ship to Mars, well, leave that to the, the Elon Musks and Jeff Bezos of the world. Like they can do that. You know, for you, pick something you can do. Like, and then on your second or third startup, you could do something that requires more initial capital. That's number one. Number two, you can raise money, but you have to be careful. So um, don't expect you're going to raise money. Like it always takes longer than you think it will. Like it's always more painful. Like for everybody, every entrepreneur I know, and you can read about all these entrepreneurs being funded with millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. But you know, when it's kind of binary, either you, it's really, really, really hard to raise money or it's super easy. Everybody's chasing you because you figured it out. So, you know, when you really need that money, that's when the venture capitalists, you know, aren't there because they're not that adventurous. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to take a chance. They want to wait until you've proven to them that your business is real. That's when they get excited and they all run to the, those companies. So before you can do that, and if you don't have rich friends or relatives, what you need to do is you need uh, to literally plan on spending at least a year figuring out the market and building your first minimum viable product or prototype to get to market, to get enough data out there. Your job as an entrepreneur, I always say, is to, at the very beginning, is to gather information. Because, you know, it doesn't matter how hard you work. You know, you can work day and night on something, but if you're going the wrong direction, if you don't have the right information, if you haven't figured out something special, like that opportunity, then you can work forever and go nowhere. But if you figure it out, and that requires really going deep, deeper than anybody else has, because literally, you know, a company, I have another rule, I have so many rules, <laughs> they're all in the book, so you don't have to write them down. But my other rule is there's really only two ways to break through, only two ways for a, a startup team to break through. Number one is that you don't make a product that is incrementally better than everything else out there. You don't, like if you make, let's say you want to make a new email application and break into the email market. Well, if you make an email application that's a little better than Gmail, maybe has a, some other few cool features, who's going to use it? Like none of us are going to switch, right? We don't want to switch. Nobody wants to switch from what they're using unless it's exponentially better, an order of magnitude better. Like it has to be like so good. You're like, okay, I'm ditching Gmail, right? <laughs> Even though I've been using this forever, I'm going to do this one because this is just amazing. Or else the only other way to break through is it needs to be different. It needs to be a product that adds a core value that's so valuable to the, the end user that they will say, I will use this in addition to Gmail. Like I'll keep using Gmail, but this thing is so valuable and does something different that I'm going to use both for my communication. That is like, literally, if you haven't accomplished one of those, then you don't have a business. And I see so many people who have these businesses that are a little different or a little better go nowhere. So at the beginning, those are the things you need to figure out. And then you need to budget time for that. Like it takes time. Like it doesn't happen overnight. It's an incremental process of discovery and information gathering and trial and error. What's your opinion on crowdfunding? Like the Kickstarters and the Indiegogos, do you, you know, think that's a good idea? Is, you know, pitfalls? What's your take on that? I have a lot of thoughts on this and I write a lot about this. Crowdfunding, I think, is wonderful. 
Like, it's amazing. Like when they, when Kickstarter launched, I was like, it's a brilliant idea. Like really good. It's, but it's good for certain types of things. Like it doesn't work for everything. Like, you know, I say crowdfunding is really good for kind of cool gadgets. Like you come up with this cool gadget that like does something everybody wanted to do, but isn't on the market. You know, like inventors, people come up with these things. Great for that. It's great when there's an existing fan base, like there's a huge fan base that, that, that they want more of a product because they've already fallen in love with it. And then you can go out to that existing fan base and say, help us fund the next version, help us fund, you know, a new game, a new movie, a new whatever it is. Really good charities too, like getting people to give, go fund me, things like that. I think those are ideal. Other types of businesses, B2B businesses, nah, you know, enterprise businesses, nah, you know, they're, they're, you know, deep scientific, you know, relying on technology, deep scientific, no, you know, there's so many businesses it doesn't work for. But um, one thing I want to caution people on, and this is really important, most of the projects, and I would say most, especially when they're hardware gadgets that come out on, on Indiegogo or Kickstarter or any of these things. So they come up with this new gadget, this really cool thing, and they launch it. Those are really tough businesses, really tough. They might have a spike where they get a lot of initial sales. But usually, if, if once the word gets out, there are companies in China and other parts of the world that literally are always watching Indiegogo and Kickstarter will copy you and put the same product out at you know a lower price. And then it's a race to the bottom. You're just like cutting, cutting, cutting price because you didn't have a chance to really build a brand. And also the problem with building, I have a rule for business models. Like if you're doing a startup, you know, you need to, if you want to grow a big business, not just get some, some money, you know, ride the spike, you could make a million dollars or something and then it goes away, right? You could do that. But the businesses that really turn into these unicorns, these huge companies, they tend to do one thing really well. And that is they tend to have a model that relies on recurring revenue. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, when you, somebody buys your gadget, most of these gadgets, they pay you once and then they go away, right? So, you know, and if you want to get another customer, you have to go out and market to them. You have to like literally go out and, and acquire that customer that costs money. And therefore your profit margin gets lower and lower and lower. And when somebody else comes into the market, you know, they're really killing you because on, you know, you're competing. The cost of customer acquisition is just too high if the customer comes once and then leaves. The great companies out there tend to lock in customers for long periods of time. And then they get that customer to keep giving them money over and over and over. Think about it. Amazon. You come to Amazon, you buy one product, they make a little money. You buy another product, they make a little more money. Over your lifetime, they make a huge amount of money. Uber, same thing, make a little money. Facebook, billion people on Facebook, each advertisement making a little money, but people keep coming back. So they, these pennies add up and they get a huge amount of revenue over time. Look at all these businesses that are like the tops. They rely on recurring revenue. So think about that. When you're building your, your business, I say do two things. One, one. If you want a, a great business model, look at how you can get customers to pay you over and over again, and how the more they use your product, the more valuable it becomes. The more people using your product and the more time they invest into your product, the harder it is for them to leave. Then no other company from China or somewhere else can come and steal those customers. 
Those are great businesses. I love that. This time, Captain Hoff has flown by, and I love calling you Captain Hoff, by the way. Uh, so I, as you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests one question, and that is, what is your biggest help in that single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? The single most important thing I want you to walk away with is understand who you are. What makes, first of all, what will really make you happy? You know, is it just money in the bank? Is it relationships with your family? All these things, because you have to invest in all of them. Like if you just invest in your business at the expense of all your other relationships, you're probably not going to be happy like, because those things will wither and die. Also, who are you? Like, do you have a, it's okay to have a dream of being an entrepreneur, but can you handle stress well? Can you, you know, are you very flexible? You know, if you aren't flexible, if you can't handle a lot of stress, you might be better at a job that's more routine or supporting an entrepreneur, like joining a startup a little later. These, this self-knowledge, take the time to do this because it will benefit you much more than almost anything else you do in life. And the other thing you need to identify is where are you great? What things do you do exceptionally well that you actually enjoy doing? Because if you can focus on those, you, your chance of being successful is so much higher. And your chance of actually giving back to the world, helping the world will be so much better. Don't, you know, if, like I'll give you one example. Like I wanted to be a writer for a period of time when I went to film school. I wanted to write, but I'm not a great writer. So not fiction, that is. I'm pretty darn good at nonfiction, but fiction, I just didn't have it. So I had to realize that and shift my focus to where I could really make an impact. And that's my advice. Fantastic. Tell us where people can learn about you online and get their hands on your book. If you want to reach me, just go to founderspace.com. And we have tons of free educational material on there, like videos, everything to teach entrepreneurs, like all this different startup kits, all these different things you can access. We give them away to anybody who's you know, low income or really needs them. So if you, everybody can afford them, right? If you can't afford them, you can get them for free. Also, um, I'm on all the social networks as Founderspace. And if you want my books, again, just go to Founderspace. It's all there. Awesome. And we'll have links to everything Founder Space in the show notes at thedailyhelping.com. So we got you covered, but this was so much fun. The time flew by. Thanks so much for coming on The Daily Helping. I loved it. Thank you, Dr. Richard. And thanks to each and every one of you as well who chose to take time out of your day and listen to our chat here today. If you like what you heard, go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag, MyDailyHelping, because the happiest people are those that help others. 